God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. That Hebrew word, hagios, uh, uh, or rather kadosh, excuse me, the Hebrew word kadosh, and the, you know, mixed up sometimes between the two. Uh, holy, holy, holy is our Lord God Almighty. We serve an amazing God and we thank Him for His uh, blessings and for the opportunity to serve and to be here this morning to worship our great and our holy God in spirit and in truth. Thank God for His love and for blessing us. Even though we're in a, a pandemic and a situation like this and, and the things that go on in our lives, that God doesn't change. And we thank God for that. Let's go to God, please, in a word of prayer. Our holy heavenly Father, creator and sustainer of all life, maker of all things, things that we can see and things that we cannot see. For you, O oh God, are amazing and incredible and beautiful. And we love you so very much. Thank you for Jesus, your great son, whom you sent to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary. Your plan, O oh God, is, was absolutely amazing. For you have saved us by your grace and by your mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ, your darling son. And Lord God, though the the plan that you laid out is a plan that none of us would have been willing to endure. Yet you blessed us, Lord God, that you endured. For you have never asked us to do anything that you yourself would not have done. Thank you for setting the example and showing us how to live. We ask, oh God, that you will bless us this morning to worship you, praying that our worship will and thus far has been pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Asking, O oh God, that you will guide us into all truth and rid our minds of all worldly thought, that we might focus on your word, your will, and your way. These things we do ask and pray in that wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would be thy will. Amen. This morning we are going to be looking at uh, the thought of uh, how how long or when will these things take place in the book of Revelation? When when is all that going to happen? You can look in the library and you'll see books everywhere about Revelation, right? There's so many books, and I do not claim to have all the answers, but there are just so many. There's so much literature. There's so many things written about the book of Revelation. I want to just keep things simple and uh, and strive to to gain biblical principles to help us to understand. Uh, things in the book of Revelation, which I think the Bible tells us to do. Um, in addition to that, I want to look at uh, this morning, how long, uh, you know, or rather, uh, when will these things in the book of Revelation, when will they take place? It's a great question. These things must shortly take place, the Bible says. A contextual rule uh, in following the whole Bible in particular the book of Revelation this morning in particular, is to remember that, that the Bible's written in the, in the era of time in which its, its recipients live. And so when you read the book of Revelation, you have to have one foot in the, in the time period, the era in which the book was written. And then you can step outside of that, but you must gain your accurate understanding uh, according to what the readers, the listeners of the word, uh, receive. What was the message? What did it mean to them. So, it's important then to find 
key words and key phrases in both the Old and New Testament that carry over in the teachings of God. I want to start in Matthew chapter 24 this morning. And we're going to stay outside of Revelation for a moment and then venture into Revelation try to, to try to understand these things that must shortly take place. Let's start at verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky that all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now you could take that text and, and you could, and you could, you could expand upon it and step way outside of the time, the century in which it was written, step way outside into 2000 years later, or you could simply allow the Bible to interpret itself. Verse 34. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. When we allow the Bible to interpret itself, regardless of what it sounds like, as you're reading about the tribulation of those days and the sun being darkened and the moon not giving its light and all those things, regardless of what the Bible says, whether we understand exactly what God means, keeping the rule of allowing God to interpret his own book, you recognize that all the things that Jesus spoke of here, would take place in that generation. That's important. Now, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and let's look at verse 17. This is a prophecy of Joel. So Joel prophesied this many years ago. And then in verse 17, Peter, as he begins this sermon, he says, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord it shall come. And it shall be that every man, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was through verse 21. When will all this take place? Well, verse 17, it says, And it shall be in the last days, God says. So in the last days, these things will take place. And so you read about it and you see, okay, the, the, the sun and the moon and darkness and blood and all those things. You wonder, whoa, what is God talking about? The most important part is to understand when these things will take place. And he says, in the last days. Now, First John chapter 2 and verse 18. Let's allow the Bible to give us information about when the last days would come. For perhaps the last days are going to come in the year 2000 or maybe in 3000 or maybe they've already come. Well, let's let the Bible interpret itself first john 2 and verse 18 children it is the last hour and just as you heard that the antichrist is coming even now many antichrists have arisen
From this we know that it is the last hour. In other words, these are the last days because the Antichrist, as other way, other places in the scripture would come in the last days. And John says the Antichrist is already here. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and verse 2. All I'm trying to show you is that the Bible is written for us to understand. Okay, that's what's important. God did not send out a mystical message that we couldn't understand. He's writing the message so that we can understand. Verse 1, the Bible says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And so the last days, in the last days, we're in the last days. The first century was a part of the last days. The book of Revelation is a book that's written in the days of a tremendous persecution of the saints. When people were being executed, exiled, robbed of their property for refusing to renounce their relationship with God being children of God when the evils were seeking to destroy the church oh this is huge the church Jesus said the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it Daniel 2:44 Daniel said that there's no way this thing will ever go away in verse 45 but evils were forced or trying to to uh, to destroy the church. And many were asking the question, is there any hope for the future? I mean, is what Jesus Christ said actually true? Because Rome is powerful and a powerful force. Revelation 1 and the verse 9. Revelation 1 and the verse 9. The Bible, the book of Revelation in particular, is God's answer to this question. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the isle called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John was a partaker in current tribulation. He too is one of the recipients of the book. Of Revelation. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So to the seven churches, to the churches of Christ in that time who are suffering, who are being persecuted, the persecuted saints. Verse 9 again. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because I'm a child of God. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, that's why we are being persecuted. Ask yourself the question, how would that message, this message, fit into the wars today? You can read books and they'll say, oh yeah, that, how does it fit into this pandemic that affects the whole world? Brethren, understand this was a persecution by Rome against the church, not against the world. So we got to distinguish that out. So when you think about the book of Revelation, the first thing you understand, you surmise from the text is, it's not written to the world. It's written to God's people. 
Okay? And God's people are being persecuted by the Romans. And God has promised deliverance to his people. But when will these things take place? When are these things going to happen? What would, what would make sense to you? You're in the midst of suffering. Tremendous suffering. One that you've never gone through. One that's not because of you. It's because of, of who you are. Because you are a child of God. Because the Messiah has already stood. The Messiah has already died on the cross. And now you are followers of the Messiah. And being exiled and being persecuted. And then God says to you, I'm going to write you a book. And I want you to know that the book I'm writing you is going to be for your encouragement. And you say, thank you, God. And then he says, keep in mind, this stuff's not going to happen for 2,000 years. How encouraged would you be if you just watched the execution of a family member? If you had the Romans walking through the streets looking for you. And Jesus said, in about 2,000 years, all this will be over. How much encouragement would you gain from a book of Revelation referring to something that's going to happen 2,000 years out? It was written to them. And Jesus is going to specifically state to them through this inspiration, through this message, that these things will shortly come to pass. Verse 19 of chapter 1. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. John, here's a message. I want you to write down, you could take this, if you will, in the present, what you've seen presently, but also what you've seen in the, it, through the book, right? So John's going to see a snapshot of something, and then he's going to write about it. So write what you've seen. The Old Testament is going to be really revealed in the book of Revelation. Write the present situation, your current event that you're living in. You're, you're, right now you're struggling against Babylon. Well, it's actually Rome, right? Okay, you're struggling against Babylon. We'll look back at Babylon to understand what God means when he's talking about Rome. The future, the deliverance of God is coming your way. When, God, is this going to happen? Verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Blessed is a child of God who picks this book up and reads it and believes it as he hears it and he obeys it. Even during this persecution. And then in verse 1 he says, verse 1 he says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservants. These things, Jesus says, must shortly take place. Not 2,000 years later, I'm taking care of you now. I am your God. Now I've been God in the past. I am God in the future. I have forever been God. And I have you covered. You are going to be all right. Your deliverance will soon come to pass. Verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. Thank you, God. Because see, when you jump over to the church at Smyrna, 
And you remember that God was talking to them and encouraging them. And he said, I need you to know something in verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. That you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. Do not fear because some of you are going to suffer. Some of you are going to be cast into prison. And some of you are going to be beheaded. Executed. Hung on a cross. But don't worry. I've written a testimony to you. The things that I've written will shortly take place. Hold on to God's unchanging hand. You see, that's what this is all about. This book is about holding on to God through through a great and amazing persecution. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Through times of, of sorrow and difficulty, maybe not a sorrow and difficulty that we go through every day, but this is a specific persecution that is, is earmarked, that is focused only on Christians. So what is the nearness of time when you think about nearness of time? When Jesus communicates his message of nearness of time, what, what, is that, what does that look like? Well, let's go to verse 14 of Mark chapter 1 and 15. And after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's at hand. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. The time is at hand. Okay, that means it's near. I mean, it's, it's here. It's close. It's not yet, but it's close. Matthew 3 and the verse 2. There the Bible says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn to Mark 9 and verse 1. Mark 9 and verse 1. What is the nearness of time? The fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel and and, and Micah and Isaiah. When is that going to happen? Jesus says it's at hand. Mark 9 and verse 1. And he was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste of death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Some of you who are standing here today are going to realize that amazing blessing of the prophetic messages fulfilled finally in Christ Jesus. The time is at hand. Matthew 26 verse 18. Matthew 26 and verse 18. And I hope and encourage you to continue to look and study when, you know, the times and how God communicates his message to us. Matthew 26 and verse 18. There the Bible says, and he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I am to keep the Passover 
at your house with my disciples. Now, in some of your versions, you'll find that as you read this, you realize that he says, I'm coming soon, or the time is soon. The point of the matter is, is that when Jesus communicates his message, it's not something that is ambiguous. You don't have to look at that and think, well, what does that mean? Does that mean in 20 years or 40 years? Or It means what it means. <laughs> These things will shortly take place. We could go over it and look at, look at, at the, the Edith of, of Milan, and we could look at other things that are less than 313 A.D., and we could talk about those things with Constantine, etc. Or we could understand the realization that God is bringing into their midst, that God is showing them that the things you're reading about, these things you will begin to see the breaking down and the ultimate destruction of Rome. Go back, if you will, to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. And though all of those who are living, who received the message, did not witness the end, they witnessed the actual message of God being fulfilled. They were able to see God's word in action, that God was fulfilling what he promised he would to the saints, to his people. So let's think about time for just a moment. Because I want to look at a very key point um, in Daniel and then, and then look at one in Revelation and compare the two. Daniel chapter 8 and verse one. Let's start there. This is about, this is written about 550 BC. Now verse one says, in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king of vision appeared to me, Daniel subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. So this is in the days of Belshazzar. This is about 550 BC. And then in verse 14, he says, and he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. 2,300 evenings and mornings. Now jump down to verse 26. And the vision of the evenings and mornings, which has been told, is true. But keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. Now, chronologically speaking, from 550 B.C. and 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes comes in and he defiles the temple. And then in 164 BC, remember that Julius Maccabees comes in, he restores or cleanses the temple. And that's a total of 386 years later. And you might say, well, maybe it's not referring to that. Maybe it's referring to something else, some other spectacular event that comes a little later. But regardless of the fact that what exactly it's specifically speaking of, God says, I want you to seal the book up. Because this is many days to come. Many days to come. Revelation 22. Revelation 22 and verse 10. Revelation 22 and verse 10. So you can think about that for just a moment and ask yourself, so when God speaks to his saints, what is he trying to say to them? In verse 10, listen to the relationship of Daniel chapter 8. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So when God communicates his message and says, these things are going to happen many days to come, he says, seal the book up. But when you get to Revelation, he says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. God is communicating his message that this is not something that's going to happen thousands of years away but rather something that they will be able to see unraveling in their days. Verse 6 of Revelation chapter 22. 
And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. What I'm trying to show you in in, in chapter 1 is that he's communicating this message in the very beginning of Revelation chapter 1 and in the end, chapter 22, to remind you as you're reading through all these spectacular events, remember that the message is clear that these things must shortly take place or must shortly happen. And so they're going to be able to realize, to see the unraveling of God's uh, perfection and salvation and deliverance of the body of Christ, of the church, in their days. Verse 16, Revelation 22. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you the things for the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to them the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. This book has been communicated to God's people. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And we're going to close in Revelation chapter 1. I want you to think about something for a moment. Some man steps, comes to you and and he, a woman, and they talk to you about becoming a child of God. And they begin to talk to you about how great God is. And all they've been hearing is how great Rome is. How great Rome is. Who can destroy Rome? And someone comes to you and says, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then you ask the question, But if I become a child of God today, if I surrender to God in the waters of baptism and the Romans knock on my door and persecute me, what's going to happen? And the book of Revelation says, you'll receive the crown of life. And the saints would say, you'll receive the crown of life. This is the greatest, most spectacular opportunity that's ever been presented to man that you can be saved for eternity. If you'll surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You see, the point I'm trying to make is there has to be something that that trumps or is much stronger or gives you something greater to look forward to than Rome. And there is. It's Jesus Christ. And so listen to how the message is communicated in verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
the firstborn of the dead, to the rulers, the kings of the earth, and to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to God, his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So when you think about surrendering to God, understand that you are surrendering to the Almighty. Even Rome will surrender to the Almighty when Jesus comes back. The first time, He stood before Pontius Pilate, but the second time, Pontius Pilate is going to stand before him. Surrender to Jesus, for he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Rome is nothing. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for your time today.